Okay, one more time, good evening, um, or at least it's evening from where I am, just in case you're listening to these from a different country um, in a different time zone. All right, but good day, everyone. Um, let us start with a word of prayer. And actually, I want us to, to worship God um, for a few minutes. Uh, so, and this is what I want us to do. I just want us to let our spirits um, commune with God. You know, somebody said, said one time i think i read this right that a lot of people pray to god but not a lot of people talk with god all right and i want us to talk talk with god as we just let our spirits um commune and fellowship with him for a couple minutes before we go into the word and like i said to us uh last week this is a practice i want us to have consistently where we just before we dive into the word let's Let's um, allow our spirit to glide and let's touch the direction of the Holy Ghost um, for, for today. All right. So I'm going to go back to the song I was playing because it's a worship song. Um, and I just want you to not, not necessarily sing to the song. Yeah, if you want to sing to the song, you can do that. But I want that. I want the song to inspire your spirit, to stay your spirit up in, the, in, a, in an atmosphere of worship. Okay. So please just take a couple minutes and worship God in the
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we bless your holy name. We come before you today acknowledging your presence. We thank you for the sweetness of your presence within us in our various uh, locations, at home, on, on the road, in our offices, wherever we are joining in from right now. We thank you for the sweetness of your presence that is flooding our hearts. Dear Holy Ghost, we acknowledge your presence. And we ask that you come and teach us yourself this evening. Expose the realities of your realm to us. Help us to see the shape and texture of what you call natural, which is to us supernatural. Help us, O oh Lord, to, to dive into the experiences, not just touching the tip of the water with our fingers, but diving into the depth of it because you are guiding us. Grant us insight and understanding. Teach us, O oh Lord. I ask for utterance to speak your word with simplicity and with power, the same way Jesus would speak if it was right here on earth physically. Thank you, Lord, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. All right. Amen, amen. Excited to be here. Please let me know if you can hear me. Uh, just drop a comment on whatever platform you are joining us from. Do let me know if you can hear me loud and clear so that I, uh, I'm sure we're good, all right? And I proceed. But again, welcome. Um, I hope you were blessed by that, by those few minutes of worship. You know, what I found out is when the presence of God is there, you may not need to speak so much for people to understand so much. You might speak few words, but those words will be with accuracy and with power and they would land on open hearts, all right? So I want us to cultivate the practice of um, the presence of God in our meetings, all right? Wherever we gather, let's cultivate that practice and um, we'll see tremendous impact, okay? All right, so please do let me know if you can hear me. Um, okay, yes, yes, I see. I can hear you. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for those words on Mixer. I see your comments. Okay, so today we're continuing what we've been discussing for... Uh, two weeks now. This is the third week, and we're looking at seven healthy signs of seven signs of a healthy spirit. Okay, seven signs of a healthy spirit. And we said el earlier that at the beginning of this study, that the purpose of looking at this is so that we can first and foremost um, do some form of inspection in our lives and allow the Holy Ghost point out areas where we need to work on areas where we need to make changes on, areas where we need to make 
improvement on okay and we looked at um the first the first thing we looked at was uh submission to the word of god okay submission to the authority of god's word the second thing we looked at last week was um why is it keeping my mind now submission to the word of god second thing was um what was the second thing please this is keep my okay quick to repent yes thank you quick to repent you've been quick to repent meaning you're making being able to make adjustments when the holy ghost um prompts those uh, changes in your heart or prompt direct your attention to certain things all right you are able to repent quickly um and we looked at all those so please if you did not attend bible study last week or you have not even listened to it i really implore you to do so we have these um these sessions already um uploaded on our podcast um and in the spirit of these i was just going to, i'm just going to drop the links right away because i do not know who has access to it um who has seen it or not so i'm dropping the links for us to go go to okay um that's the link to our podcast all right so let's dive into it we have just a few minutes to digest a, a bunch of things the third sign of a healthy spirit we're looking at is fellowshipping with other believers fellowshipping with other believers meaning a healthy spirit is open to fellowshipping with other believers is eager to fellowship with other believers um loves to fellowship with other believers all right and this is a sign that your spirit is healthy because many people don't want to fellowship with other believers they want to go solo all right there's this idea that i'm 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 is my relationship with, is is between god and myself all right i don't need anybody i have access to the bible i can read the bible for myself um, I can pray by myself. God can speak to me directly. I don't need anybody. Okay. And there's that fallacy that the enemy has sold to people and it has even given them a sense of superiority. All right. And sometimes it comes in this way that maybe they've grown to a certain level in the faith or they have experienced some spectacular manifestation of God in their life. And they suddenly begin to isolate themselves and think they are so special that they do not need the fellowship of other believers. And this is completely wrong, all right? And we're going to see that one of the first ways the enemy attacks a believer is by isolating him. But let's not rush that. Let's just go gradually, okay? So a healthy spirit is prone to fellowshipping with other believers. Listen to me. There is no way in scripture where the Bible admonishes or implies that we should run our, our Christian race alone or we should walk in this Christian journey alone. There is no way. Yes, our callings are unique and individual and um, are, are unique to us as individuals. However, the call God has for the body of Christ cannot be achieved by an individual. The Bible says in Matthew, when Jesus Christ was speaking to his disciples, Matthew 28, he was speaking to them and says, go ye to um, all nations, make go into the world rather make disciples of all nations the instruction he was giving was not to one person was to his disciples at that point in time all right if you go to the book of luke luke the bible says that those that believe shall um this sign shall follow them that believe so the signs follow those that believe okay and the context is not just an individual experience but a corporate manifestation of god's power so there is nowhere where the bible says or remotely suggests that your Christian faith should be done alone. There is no place, okay? 
Isolation is an activity of the devil, not, not of God. And it's very simple. When Jesus Christ was calling his disciples, he, first of all, Jesus himself didn't do ministry alone. He called disciples and he was calling them into a family. But on the contrary, when the enemy possesses people, he isolates them. You hear the story of the um, demon-possessed man, right, in, in the Gadarenes. And the, dev, the demon drove him to a tomb, to a grave site. That's an isolated area. And this is what the devil does. When he gets a hold of people, he wants to isolate them from, from the fellowship of other people. All right? So a healthy spirit is open and is willing to fellowship with other believers. But let's look at some scriptures to validate um, what I'm saying. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Start from, you know, popular common scriptures that I believe we should, we all should know. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and verse 25. I'm reading from the Old King James Version. It says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and, and to good works. Meaning that there's how I can provoke you to love and to good works. I know that there is a provocation to anger, but there's a holy kind of provo provocation. That holy provocation is that which stirs somebody else to good works. So for instance, I come, you know, I go and visit my friend. For instance, I go to visit my friend and then he shares the testimony with me of how he's able to pay a child's school fees. And I'm so inspired by that testimony. And he, his testimony has provoked me to see who I, I can help within my circle. All right. That is a provocation to love and to good works. Or I'll, my friend is speaking to me and says his goal for this year is to, is to build house for three widows. And I am inspired and say, okay, maybe I don't have as much money as my friend, but what can I do? Who on my street can I help? Who is in my, in my community can I be of help to? Who in my church can I help? That is a holy provocation. So Paul, uh, or rather the writer of Hebrews is saying here that let us consider one, on, one another to provoke unto love and good works. And such provocation can only happen in the context of fellowship. Because it's in fellowship, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron, all right? Iron sharpens iron in fellowship, meaning I am, like, like I just shared, the testimony of my friend or the story of my friend can inspire me. Maybe I, I hear testimony from someone about a, 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 a faith step he had, he had to take. And his testimony stirs faith up in my heart concerning something else that I'm, I'm believing God for. And God begins to lead me on the path of faith and I begin to take action because I heard somebody's testimony that stirred me onto, onto love and good works. So these kind of experiences happen within the context of fellowship. An isolated believer cannot be stirred up onto good works. He must make contact with other believers. All right. Whether it is physical, um, fellowship through physical, you know, meetings or through listening to messages or, or, or reading books or whatever medium that fellowship will take, an isolated believer cannot stir himself to good works alone. There must be contact with other believers. And the reason is because you alone does, you alone do not carry the uh, entirety of the operations of God's spirit. God has democratized his spirit such that you need the other person to perfect and complete what you also have. All right. Now look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling 
of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. I want to break down this scripture um, briefly, all right? Because there are certain things I want to point out. Um, just a minute, I'm trying to open a different translation. All right, so it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. Now, the first thing I want to point out here is that when we talk of fellowship, we're talking about fellowship with believers, not fellowshipping with unbelievers. Now, there is a place for relating with unbelievers, okay? But fellowship can only happen with, with believers. You can commune, uh, I mean, you can relate, I beg your pardon, you can relate with unbelievers, you can talk to people at your place of work, on your market, on business, um, your neighborhood that are unbelievers, and that's that's fine. There's a place for that, all right? However, when we talk of fellowship in this context, we're talking about fellowshipping with believers. And that's why the writer of Hebrews here in verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. He says ourselves. That is a very specific context. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, right? That is, you know, like they say it in Nigeria, we, we, that's amongst us. And this is a super important part. Now, just for the sake of balance, let me say here that the Bible is not suggesting you don't talk with unbelievers, all right? Meaning, let's say you have a colleague at work who is an unbeliever. The Bible is not saying that you should not greet that person or not even have a, a friendly conversation with that person. No, that's not what the Bible is suggesting. You can do that. You can have friendly conversations with unbelievers. But when it comes to fellowship, fellowship here represents, the, the, the Greek word is koinonia. And it's an intimate kind of relationship akin to what a, what a husband and wife has in marriage, right? So that level of intimacy and fellowship can only happen with believers. And the reason is because we share the same spirit, okay? And that's why you hear the Bible say things in like in, in 2 Corinthians, what, what relationship or what fellowship does light have to do with darkness or, or unbelievers with believers? It's in that context of fellowship that we're talking about. So that's the first thing I wanted to point out. Second thing is, is seen in that verse 25, it says, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching let me read this from another translation okay just to help you you know break break down that i'm reading from the new living translation it says and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near so what the bible is saying is that as we come closer to the coming of Christ, as the day of God's return is drawing near, we should be more eager to fellowship with each other. It's almost like saying that the importance of fellowship significantly increases as the day of God's return draws closer. Do you understand that? So there would never be a time where fellowship with other believers would be unnecessary or would be outdated. And this is something that I... I think the devil tried to attack during the um, COVID-19 pandemic where people had to stay at home, okay? Most churches had to close. I mean, if not, every the whole world had to shut down. So people were meeting physically. And there are a lot of people who live alone, you know? And there are also a lot of people who, who don't have like very good friends 
um, Christian friends, right? Aside church. So I, the enemy used that opportunity to attack their fellowship. And a lot of people have not even recovered to, to the faith till today. And that is sad, but it's the truth. And the reason why their, their, their faith spiraled downwards in that season is because there was no fellowship, okay? It takes more than a single piece of coal to warm or to, to heat up a, a, a pot of, of water. Or if we use our traditional context, it takes more than a stick of wood to light up a fire. You will need a, you need a bunch of wood coming together in fellowship for, for that fire to, to be ignited. All right, so... As the day of Jesus' return comes closer, our need for fellowship significantly increases. And, as, and, and what this also translates to, and what this interprets right, for us is that as the day of Christ's return comes closer, evil also goes higher. You know, the, the rate of decadence in the world increases. And it takes a body of believers in fellowship to preserve the faith. We are getting, or we have come rather, into a time in this world where if you are not in a family of believers, and when I mean family, not necessarily your biological family now, but a company of believers, if a group of believers, if you are not within a community of believers, it is very easy for your faith to be attacked once you are out of that group of fellowship, okay? And so we must be intentional about fellowshipping with other believers um, especially as the day of Christ's returns, return draws nearer. And fellowship here has different contexts, okay? It could be from your church or from communities like this, all right, that you're listening to, or from even a group of friends that you meet often to pray, to share, to just discuss God's word and strengthen each other. Or, you know, some people's offices have um, Christian, you know, meetings or Christian fellowships. Whatever the context is, meeting together as believers is super important. And, it is one of the signs that your spirit is healthy, that you are willing to meet with other believers to strengthen each other in the faith. Let's look at the next scripture, uh, Psalm 133, verse 1 to 3. Psalm 133, uh, the book of Psalms 133, verse 1 to 3. Now, this is a, also a common you know, passage of scripture that we might have quoted but maybe not known where it's found. Uh, but let's read it. New King James Version says, Behold, in other words, observe how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. So look at it. It says brethren. And in this context, it's referring to believers. Now, there is a place where the Bible says, Be at peace with all men. That's, sorry, that covers believers and unbelievers at large. Be at peace with every single person. But when he now talks about dwelling together in fellowship, it's, it's only among brethren. That is among believers. So it says, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Verse 2 says, it is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the bed, the bed of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Meaning there's a, there's a dimension of oil or anointing that flows in a corporate setting that you cannot get in your individual private life. No matter how anointed you are, no matter the degree of calling you have, 
if you are not in a company of believers, there's there's a covering, there's an anointing that you would never experience. And I dare say that the full manifestation of your calling of your grace or your anointing will only find expression within a corporate context. So isolated believers never achieve their fullest potential. That's what I'm trying to say. There is the oil, precious oil upon the head. Okay. He says that runs down the bed. That anointing flows only when brethren dwell together in unity. So a lot of people, and this is what the enemy has really cheated believers um, from, that the blessing that comes from fellowshipping with other believers, the anointing that comes from fellowshipping with other believers, the enemy has robbed some believers from it by selling the idea that they can find God on their own, that salvation is personal. You don't need to fellowship with anybody. I know some people say, some people say there's a word, there's a very fancy English word they use. Um, this when well, non-conforming religion or something. There's a funny thing. You know, I was speaking to someone and she she said it that way, and I just laughed. But in essence, what they're trying to say is that yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a church. I don't go to church. I don't you know fellowship with other believers. It's just me, and my heart, and there is no such thing like that. Check your Bible from Genesis to Revelations. There is no such thing as a believer in isolation. There is no such thing like that. Um, and we're going to look at some of the things that the enemy has deceived believers into. But just to establish that there is grace, there is anointing that flows only in the place of fellowship. Verse 3 of Psalm 133 says, It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So there is a there's a commanded blessing that God only releases in the in the setting of, of corporate believers coming together. All right. So this is super important for us. Let's read another scripture to uh buttress this. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. I'm reading all of this to show you from scripture, how important it is for believers to dwell together in unity, okay? The devil is the, see, it is God that said it is not good for man to be alone. And that is true, not just in the marital context, but for life in general. So it is God that says man should not be alone. And it is devil that always tries to make man alone. In fact, the Bible says that God sets the solitary in family, in families. So the person that is alone, God looks for families and places that person in families. So God is of God is not an isolated individualistic God. He is a God that puts people in families, Christian families, um, spiritual families, and fiscal families. All right. It is the devil that isolates people, that separates people. Okay. So if you look at someone, and I'm maybe I'll share a story with you if I if I have to go ahead. But if you look at someone who just wants to always be isolated, I know they can people can be introverts, but if you see someone who just wants to be isolated from other people, that person is a, is an easy candidate for the attack of the enemy. So Acts chapter two verse one and two. Look at what the Bible says. And when the day of Pentecost had was fully come, there were all with one accord in one place and this this has a prophetic um implication not only were there yes there, this were one accord in a physical place but the prophetically this meant that you know the bible says they were with one accord so there was unity 
There was unity in heart. There was unity in purpose. There was unity in assignment. There was unity in understanding. And they were all in one place. They're all in one place. This represents the spiritual position that these people occupied. And the Bible says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So our fellowship is with believers because we are in one place. And that place is, that place, right, is the, is, is, seated beside the right hand of God, all right? That place is the heavenly place that we occupy, okay? And that's why, again, I'm saying this, that for the context of what we're talking about, our fellowship is with believers. So they were with one accord in one place, and look at what happened, verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. So because they were in one place, in one accord, there was a sound from heaven that could come into their midst. And I'm saying this to you that there are sounds from heaven you will never listen, you will never hear, you will never experience unless you are in an atmosphere of corporate fellowship or you are in a place of corporate fellowship and, 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 and unity. Do you understand that? Let me take that again. There are sounds from heaven that you will never hear until you are part of a corporate body of believers. And I'm not saying that you necessarily hear the sound when you are meeting together. That could be the case, but I'm saying that your alignment and fellowship with other believers puts you in a position to hear certain sounds from God. And what the enemy tries to do is to take you out of a place of corporate fellowship so that you don't hear that sound that comes from heaven. And we must be on guard against spiritual isolation it is a deceit from from the pit of hell all right so they were in so suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing rushing wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting so that sound can only come when you are in a place of corporate fellowship and many people have missed certain dimensions certain sounds from heaven because they don't belong to any corporate fellowship. They don't pray together with anybody. They don't fellowship with anybody. They don't share God's word with anybody. They are just on their own, wanderers in the realm of the spirit, isolated. Yes, they have access to the Bible. Yes, they have, they have the Holy Ghost living in them, but they are not. They don't have vital fellowship. In fact, John said, let, let, let me just make this digression quickly. Um, look at John, John chapter 1. I'll just read it uh, for us very quickly. John chapter 1. Look at what he says. It says um, from verse 3, it says, that which we have seen and heard Declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. So John was writing the things that he have witnessed, right? He was writing these things that he has witnessed so that these people could have fellowship with him and truly have fellowship with, with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So God is not in the business of isolation, all right? He's trying to foster fellowship among believers every time and everywhere. So if you ever see yourself getting to a point where... If for some reason you just don't want to fellowship with believers, they say, Oh, come, let's pray together. You say, You say, Don't worry, I'll pray on my own. Or you they say, Oh, come, let's do Bible study together. You say, I don't worry, I'll read my Bible myself. Or they say, Okay, come to church. You say, No, you know, don't worry. I'm just I just love being alone with God in my room. Listen, if you ever find yourself in that kind of a situation or your heart is tending towards that direction, begin to pray for yourself. That is an attack that is coming to your heart. Okay. And I know that the enemy will we'll come to that. The enemy wants to give you genuine reasons <clears throat> not 
to be part of fellowship with believers, but you must know that no, no reason is genuine enough. Oh, yes, you might get hurt somewhere or within a particular group. Find another group of believers that your heart can trust and open and fellowship with them. Never should you be without vital fellowship with other believers. All right. Okay, so um, under scripture, and ju just to show this, again, drive this point home, is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. So from New Testament to Old Testament, it is the same concept that God is telling us. You cannot do life alone. You cannot do Christianity alone. Ecclesiastes chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 to 12. Sometimes uh, this book can be a tongue twister to pronounce. All right. So verse 9 says, <clears throat> two are better than one. And this is not only true in a marriage context. And I know we quote this a lot, you know, when we talk about marriage, which is, which is correct, but the application extends even beyond marriage. That even in your Christian faith, two are better than one. And it says, because they have a good reward for their labor. All right. And let me just make a slight, you know, deviation here. Um, just talk to, since I mentioned marriage, I just want to chip in something here that this is why it is super important to marry a believer. If you are listening to this, to, to, to me on this um, call, or, you know, you're listening to this at a later time, it is important to marry a believer. If you're not yet married, please and please do not make the mistake of marrying an unbeliever. Further down, don't even make the mistake of marrying a, a quote-unquote believer that you cannot fellowship with. So it's not just enough to marry a, a believer, but you have to marry a believer that you can fellowship with. All right? And if somebody marries an unbeliever, there can't be fellowship. There can't be fellowship in the house, all right? And one of the greatest, and maybe I'm speaking from my experience now, you know, because I'm married, one of the greatest advantages and benefits I've seen about getting married to a Christian is that you can both fellowship with, with each other and the power of God will be so present, okay? Okay, so back to our scriptures. Chapter, um, verse 10 here, it says, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. And you see, I've seen Christians that, that fall and they don't have anybody to lift them up and it's a dangerous thing. Let me say this again. Isolation is the devil's tactics. The first evidence of spiritual attack on a believer is isolation from other believers. If the devil can successfully get you to not fellowship with other believers, then he has successfully made you a target that he can cheaply acquire. So do not fall prey to, an to spiritual isolation. No, don't do that. But now look at what the Bible says. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. You know, let me share a story. Um, with all humility, I I I know of a friend. You know, some years ago, and all of a sudden, we just noticed that, you know, my work like bunch of friends together, and we just noticed that these guys stopped fellowshipping with us like we normally would do. All right, their prayers would hold, and just even conversations, not necessarily in an official manner, right? But just having conversations about God, you know, but he was no longer, you know, in it. And I told one of my other friends and says, I'm suspecting something wrong is going, going on. And we're not far from the truth. He 
if I was just a season of spiritual darkness for him. And one day I called this one other of my friends now, and I said to him that we need to pray for this guy or else he's going to go so down, he may never recover. And I remember that day we held hands in prayer and we agreed and we broke the hold of darkness over this, our friend. And then by the next week, you know when the Bible says concerning the prodigal son that he came to his senses, that's exactly what happened. And he came back to his senses and, you know, he was restored back to the faith. People that isolate themselves from other believers, right, always, always, and I say this, always end up being a prey to the enemy. So the Bible says in verse 10 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. And there are believers who are alone when they fall. There are believers who are alone when they go through trials and temptation. It is not God's will. Yes, you might be the one going through that season of darkness or trial, but you should not be going through it alone. There should be people that can be praying for you, speaking over your life, speaking into your life, reminding you of the word of God. And no matter how powerful you are, if you do not have people that God can use to speak to you, if the only way you hear God is from your heart, from your heart, a time will come where your heart will not be in a position to hear God and you will be totally disconnected from the speakings of God. So you have to surround yourself with people that God can use to reach you in seasons where your heart is not in a position to hear from God. There are people who go through difficult situations, maybe the loss of a love or loved one, probably a miscarriage or something, and they, they begin to doubt God. It takes voices of, of godly people to restore them back into their into faith, all right, and restore them into believing in God. So there is no room for isolation for a believer. Um let's continue verse 11 says again if two lie down together they will keep warm but how can one be warm alone verse 12 though one may be overpowered by another two can withstand him and a threefold cord is not easily broken a threefold cord is not easily broken let me explain this in that phrase in the context of what we're talking about the threefold called here is you, the believer, God, and then another believer. There must be, see, this is a threefold call. You cannot be in fellowship with God alone. Yes, I know there's a place for personal fellowship, and that is understandable. That is given. But that cannot be your only source or, or only channel of fellowship or only context of fellowship. There must be another context where it is you, God, and at least one other believer. That is a context of fellowship we're talking about. And even the Bible says this. Jesus Christ says, for where two or three of you are gathered, there I am in your midst. So he says either two or three of you. So the minimum is two. But even when the, the minimum is two, Jesus comes and says, I'm the third person. So in that context of fellowship, the minimum number is always three because Jesus is present. You and another believer and then jesus present there and again this is a threefold cord that the scripture is talking about that cannot be broken so i'm repeating this several times if you ever find yourself in a situation where there's no believer okay if if for instance you go to a strange land that there's no believer fellowship with start evangelizing to somebody that will become a believer quickly so that you can fellowship with that person it is super important to your christian work all right now, why 
I mean, what is this? What what how does devil attack fellowship with believers? If if this fellowship with other believers is so important, then we need to see what keeps this fellowship together and then how the enemy also tries to attack it. So one scripture on this before we move to the to the second thing for today. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. While you are turning there, if you're if you're following and you have been blessed, just type in the comment section, I am with you. I am following. I am blessed. I understand. My heart is opening. This is for me. Let me know how this applies to you. All right. So please drop in the comment section so I know we are all together. Never forget that God's purpose is to put us in families. He places the solitary in families, both physical families and spiritual families. Okay. All right. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Let me read while you are typing in um, your comments. It says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the call with which you were called. So this is Paul making a plea to the people. He goes on to say in verse 2, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 now, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me read that again. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul is saying, do everything within your power to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, when you know when the Bible says bond, right? The the um context communicated here is when you when you take when you take um let's say you take two things for instance um you take two things and you glue them together what is keeping these things together is a bond is a special glue or whatever it is all right um it is a bond that holds these things together it could be a tape or or it could be a glue liquid glue or whatever it is it keeps these two items together now these two items are bounded by that glue. Now this is what the Bible is saying that the bond that glues believers in unity, the name of that bond is called peace. So Paul is saying do everything within your power to maintain that bond of the spirit by by keeping peace, by maintaining peace. Let me read um let me read another translation for us. Um the Amplified Version, right, Amplified Classic says, be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony and oneness of the Spirit in the binding power of peace. So be eager and strive earnestly. So what this suggests is that the number one thing that brings disunity among believers, of which when there is disunity, there can be no fellowship, the number one thing that brings disunity among believers is the absence of peace. Now, this is not talking about internal peace in your heart. This is talking about peace between people, okay? So when there is quarrel, when there's strife, when there's jealousy, there's anger, there's envy among believers, there's backbiting and all of those, it breaks the peace. And peace is that bond. And once the bond is broken, unity can no longer be achieved. And, you know, from my little experience just working with God and being among believers, I have seen 
that everywhere and every time you see things like jealousy or backbiting or competition coming amongst friends, coming among believers, coming amongst, let's say, a fellowship or a church or a group of Christian friends, if you see any of those things coming in, that is the beginning of the end of that fellowship. And that's why the Bible says we must strive, we must fight earnestly to maintain that peace. So even if it means you having to apologize a hundred times so that peace will reign among believers, do so. If it means you forfeiting some profit so that peace will reign among believers, do so. Because the enemy is looking for every opportunity to break the bond of peace that unites believers. And if you belong to any small group, to any group, whether small or large, right, of, of believers, part of your responsibility is to ensure that peace reigns among believers. Yes, we are humans. Yes, there will be differences, but you must ensure that peace reigns amongst believers, okay? The unity of the spirit is held together by the bond of peace, and it is our responsibility to maintain that bond, all right? So I do hope this is clear enough. Um, This is the number three sign of a healthy spirit fellowshipping with other believers okay now i want to just move to the to the next point which will be like the last thing we'll, we'll be able to look at today um the number which on our list is number four like i said this is not in any like order of priority or anything okay this is just listed out um in the order i, I wrote them out so number four sign of a healthy believer is a heart of gratitude a heart of gratitude, a heart that can genuinely say, God, I thank you. Even when there's little, God, I thank you. When you were, even when what you were expecting didn't turn out the way you wanted to turn out, you can still say, God, I thank you. It is a sign of a healthy heart. Listen, there are people who cannot say thank you to God if something has not happened in their life, if something good has not happened in their lives. It is almost difficult. And in fact, if something they have been believing or something they desire or it hasn't come to pass, they tend to forget all the good things that have, that have come to pass just because of what has not yet happened. So we must develop an attitude of gratitude. Having a heart of gratitude is a healthy sign. Okay. People that can just be wake up in the morning and say, God, I thank you. Oh, thank you for the sun. Thank you for the light. Thank you for the flowers. None of these things directly maybe impact their lives, all right, um, in a special way that it doesn't impact others. But they are just grateful for even this quote-unquote general things of life. And it's important for us to maintain this heart of gratitude. Every believer who is who has a, a buoyant and um, thriving fellowship with God always has a heart of gratitude. It's impossible to meet people who are in tune with God and have a deep connection with God who are not grateful people. You just hear, in fact, you can see their gratitude, their heart of gratitude, even to their fellow human beings. All right, somebody does something for them and they're just thankful. They'll thank the person oh, five times, 10 times. When they see the person the next time, they'll say, oh, I thank you for helping me that day. It's just a sign of a healthy spirit. And not every believer has a heart of gratitude. A lot of believers are entitled. I don't know where they got it from. Um, I don't know how they came about it, but they are just entitled. They don't believe life, everything in life should, should favor them. Everything in life must go the way they want. Everything in life must 
must be according to the, their desire and design. And if it doesn't go that way, then they throw tantrums right before God and they complain to God and say, you know, if you have believers say things like, God, if you don't do this thing, if you don't do it before Friday, I'm just telling you, God, you know, I'm, I, I've served you. It's almost like they are threatening God because what they want has not come to pass. And I'm wondering, who is God in this equation, Biko? All right? And there are believers who are like that, entitled. Maybe they applied for, to, for a job or maybe someone promised to help them. And the help didn't come through. And they begin to say, but God, I, I fasted. Oh, I fasted 21 days in January. That was my only request. Now look at it. Ha, God, I don't know. And they say, they say you are believing God. And, and you know, all, all manner of things. But a heart of gratitude is a healthy sign that of your, is a sign of a healthy spirit. It's a sign that your spirit is active and is buoyant. See, when you have touched the dimensions of God, when you've come in contact with God, you find out that, you, they, you don't have any other option than to be grateful. In fact, I was um, I read a book by Watchman Nee, and he said that if you read your Bible well enough, you find out that your prayer requests will reduce and your thanksgiving will increase. And that is so true. When you come to see how much God has blessed you, what God has done for you, your thanksgiving would outweigh your requests in prayer. And this is the heart that we all must have. Okay, so let's read couples, um, just a few scriptures for this quickly. Psalm one fifty verse six. <clears throat> Psalm one fifty <clears throat> verse six. I really hope we are getting something uh, today. And if you're listening to this at a later time on a podcast or on YouTube or wherever this would be, um, please just drop a comment at any point that you are blessed. Okay. Psalm 150, verse, verse 6. That's the last verse in the last chapter in the book of Psalms. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So as long as you have breath in your nostrils, you are indebted to praising God. Because everything that has breath must praise God. It's a, it's a, it's an unconditional expectation that heaven has of us. That if you have breath in your nostrils, the expectation of heaven is for you to give thanks, is for you to praise God. Okay? And there's there's a flip side of this. The flip side of this is that, now let, let's read that scripture again. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. In other words, Everything that has breath praises the Lord, okay? And breath is a sign of life. So what the Bible is saying here is that everything that is alive should praise God. And the con converse of this is everything that does not praise God is not alive. Do you understand that? Meaning that the ultimate sign of life is you are praising God. The ultimate sign that you are alive is that you can give thanks to God, that you can praise God. That is the ultimate sign of life. So the fact that somebody is walking doesn't mean he's alive. The proof of life is that the person can praise God. All right, and I'm going to show you, prove this to you from, from other scriptures, all right? So you won't just say, oh, Victor has come again. But I'll show you from other scriptures. Let's look at Psalm 115, verse 17. Psalm 115, verse 17. Okay? Um, let, let, let's start reading from verse 16. Just read verse 16 and 17. It says, The heaven, even the heavens, 
are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. Verse 17, the dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down in silence. So it says, the dead do not praise God. What this means is that those who do not praise God are dead. So the ultimate sign of life is that you can praise God. The ultimate sign of vitality in your being is your ability to praise God. It is not how much you can drink water or eat food. I know in, in school they taught us um, characteristics of a living thing, right? But from scripture, the ultimate characteristic of a living thing is your ability to praise God. So my question to you is, how alive are you? Or in fact, maybe I should ask you, have you lived today? In other words, have you praised God today? Have you offered thanks to him? And this is a sign of a healthy spirit. Your ability to give God thanks, your ability to offer praises to God is, is proof that you are alive. Okay? And what this means is that there are a lot of walking dead people. <laughs> I mean, pun intended, if you know what I mean. There are a lot of people that are walking dead. Meaning they have, they are walking, you can see them moving. They are even in a in a fancy car, in a big office, have a big house and all of that. But they are dead from God's perspective because there is no, no praise or thanksgiving that is coming out from their lives. Everything is grumbling and complaining and whining and saying, oh, this is not working. This country, this is my office, this is my job, this is my husband, this is my wife, this is my children. Just complaining up and down. Those are dead people, even though they have motion, but they are dead. They might be rich dead people. They might be poor dead people. They might be high career dead people. They might be female dead people or male dead people, but they are dead people provided there's no praise coming out from their lives. Let's look at another scripture that says pretty much the same thing. Isaiah chapter 38, verse, verse 17 to 19. Just want to establish that the ultimate sign of life is our ability to give God thanks. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17 um, to 19. This is Hezekiah that was speaking here. Uh, look at what he said in verse 17. He says, Behold, behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in, in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Verse 18 for the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. Before I continue, it says, for the grave cannot praise thee. So the person that cannot praise God is equivalent to the grave. This is what we are saying. That if God comes to your life and he's, there's no thanksgiving, there's no praise, there's no gratitude, you are as good as dead in God's sight because the grave cannot praise God. So the person that cannot praise God is considered as the grave. Look at verse 19. Uh, this is some, sorry, Isaiah 38 verse 19 now. The living, the living, he shall praise thee. As I do this day, the father to the children shall make known thy truth. So Ezekiel was saying the living are the ones that praise God. Meaning those that don't praise God are not living. And I've shown us three scriptures now, and I hope this has convinced us beyond any reasonable doubt that the ultimate sign of life is our ability to praise God. So when you wake up in the morning, your thanksgiving to God is a, is a register that you are alive that day. All right? You are, something happens to you. Your thanksgiving to God is a proof that you are alive. Okay? 
All right, so let's look at um under scripture. Um, first Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. Now we have established that thanksgiving is a proof of life, praising God is the proof of life. Okay, but I want us to just dig down a little bit before we close. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. By the way, before we finish up, right, if you do have any question, kindly drop the question um in the, in the comment section and we'll take it right after this session. Please, if you do have any question or love, love to take questions, you can, you know, drop the question right away and then I will answer it right after we're done. So, if it's, if it's, no, not efficient. First Thessalonians. Uh, we'll come to efficiency in a bit, but First Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll start reading from verse 16. Um, popular passages of scripture. Let me just turn to another translation. Okay, First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 5 from verse 16, okay? It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So in everything, give thanks. This is God's will for you. If you are wondering what is God's will for me in this situation, especially in a situation that doesn't have an outcome you desired. It is easy to it is easy to praise God when the outcome is what you expected. You applied for a job and you got the job. You nobody will tell you to praise God. You by yourself, you'll be singing to God from the moment you get that email. Now that's understandable. But what do you now do in a situation where the email is a rejection mail? The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. And maybe you got that rejection email and you're wondering, is this God? What is God's will for me? God is saying that my will for you in that situation is to give thanks. In that situation that is unpleasant, give thanks. So whatever situation you find your, yourself, God's expectation is that we should give thanks. Look at what Amplified says. Amplified says, thank God in everything, no matter what the circumstances may be. And I dare challenge you today, no matter what the circumstances may be, please thank God. It goes on to say, be thankful and give thanks for this is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus, the revealer and mediator of that will. So this is God's will for us to be thankful in every situation. In the midst of everything, be always giving thanks. Oh, you're in the midst of financial crisis, be giving thanks. As you are trying to find your way out, be giving thanks. Oh, you are trying to, you are applying to a school and looking for admission and even looking for school fees. As you are looking for the school fees, be giving thanks while you're looking for it. The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. So as you are praying to God, oh God, I need these school fees. Oh Lord, I need these open doors. Be adding thanksgiving on together with it. It is that heart of gratitude that manifests um, answers from the realm of the spirit. Now look at, I, I, and now I, I know that we are familiar with this scripture in everything, give thanks. And I've heard people say things like, well, the Bible says in everything gives thanks, not for everything gives thanks. But that's not correct because the Bible actually says for everything give thanks. And we'll see that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. So not only should we give thanks in everything, referring to you know your you being present in a situ situation or in a circumstance, but the Bible also admonishes us to give thanks for everything. And somebody is saying, ah, Victor, what do you mean? I mean what the Bible is saying. I am not inventing anything new. 
someone might be asking me, so my, my boyfriend broke my heart or my girlfriend broke my heart. Are you saying I should give thanks for that boyfriend or that girlfriend? I am telling you, yes, because that's what the Bible says. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, giving thanks always. So when the, when the outcome was good, when the outcome was bad, it doesn't matter. Give thanks always. And he says, for all things. If the Bible says give thanks for things, we would have had the opportunity to filter what we should thank God for. But the Bible is saying give thanks for all things. So maybe you they laid you off in your, in your office just when you thought you were going to get promoted. God is saying for that laying off, go and say thank you. Don't just say, God, I thank you because I'm alive. Mm -mm. Be specific and say, God, I thank you because I was laid off. This sounds very crazy, right? But this is what the Bible tells us. And this is how the spirit realm works. And I'll tell you why this is very powerful. But let me establish this, that the Bible says we should thank God for everything. Maybe you applied for a job, you did not get the job. Thank God because you did not get the job. Maybe you somebody promised you they'll marry you and then last minute they cut off the relationship and you are so bitter, you are so hot, you had already told your parents, you had told your friends about your marriage. The Bible is saying, go and thank God for that situation that the marriage did not happen. I ask him, what, what does this mean? This is what it means. If you have the ability to thank God for a situation that turned out contrary to your expectation, what you are saying in the realm of the spirit is that, God, I believe you are able to give me more than what I thought I had lost. So I thank you that I even lost what I lost. Let me share, I, I, I might have shared this with us before, but let me share a story. This happened to me directly. Sometime, some um, two years ago, right? I applied for a, I was applying for jobs, you know, and all of that. And a particular company reached back to me and they say, oh, you know what? We like your CV, you know, do this assessment. We did the assessment. And I went through all the stages of, 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 re, of interview, the interview process, which was a bit it was it was it was almost like a full-time job doing that those interview sessions because they were time demanding and all of that. But I went through it and I got to the final stage where I spoke with the CEO, spoke with people, you know, top-level management, and it was successful. In fact, after that meeting, they sent me an email to ask me, okay, how much do I want to collect as my salary? And I responded. And at this point, I was very hopeful because I mean, if you, you already can tell that this was as good as me having the job. But guess what? After all my effort and weeks of recruiting, this company never even got back to me again. They didn't even tell me, oh, we, 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 we are not giving the job. You know, that email that says, we're sorry, we cannot proceed with your recruitment. They didn't send me that email. They just cut me off and never responded. And I was really sad. But I remember that that day I knelt down and I said, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I thank you that I did not get this job. Let me tell you the real truth. My mind did it. My mind was telling me, Victor, you are crazy. How will you be thanking God for that you did not get a job you wanted to get? But I thanked God for it. And few months, maybe about two months or so later, I eventually got a job in a, in a company that was a competitor to that company. And looking back now, I am so grateful to God that I did not get that job. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you can go through a situation that the outcome is not pleasant and you say, God, I thank you for this situation. That is a statement of faith that says, God, I believe what you will bring to me will be greater than what I thought I have lost. And that is the power of thanking God for situations. So don't, don't only thank God in situations, but thank God for situations, all right? And this is what this is what um what what Jesus Christ demonstrated. Let, let, let's close with these two scriptures. Matthew chapter 14, verse 19. I'll close with these two scriptures. Uh Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. This was when Jesus Christ wanted to change, um, sorry, wanted to feed five thousand people with just um some loaves and fishes. Matthew chapter 4, verse um verse 19. Now, look at what the Bible says. Uh, sorry, Matthew. Sorry, Matthew chapter 14, verse 19. I beg your pardon. Matthew chapter 14, verse 19. 14, 19, not 419. Okay, look at what Jesus Christ said. Um, well, look at what Jesus Christ did. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. Now, in the New King James Version, says he blessed it. If you read other translation, it says he gave thanks, okay? And when I read this today, God showed me something I'd never seen before. And the the word, the, the, the Greek word there, to, to bless and to give thanks, is the same thing. And what God showed me is that when you give thanks over situations, you give thanks for situations, you are blessing those situations. So, for instance, um, a lady, you know, a guy broke the lady's heart after promising I'll marry you, and then the guy just disappeared, and she found out um, to a week to to a week to the wedding that this guy was about to get married to somebody else, and she was very distraught. Now, if she takes that situation and goes to God and thanks God for it, what she's doing is that she's placing a blessing on that situation. And that is what our thanksgiving does. Our thanksgiving places a blessing on that situation such that even a negative situation can eventually have a positive outcome because we have blessed it by thanksgiving. Now, what is the implication of blessing a situation? Look at what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 8. Well, we're going to wrap up with this. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 8. And please follow me on this. Okay? Isaiah chapter 65, verse 8. The Bible says in, in verse 8, And thus says the Lord, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. So the person says, Do not destroy it, because there is a blessing on it. Meaning that the blessing preserves destruction, or prevents destruction rather. The blessing prevents destruction. So in that situation where the lady's heart is broken and she's saying, what am I going to do? I'll never marry again. Oh, I don't know men, men, men are scum. I don't like men. I'll never date any man. Instead of her saying all of those things, she goes to God and says, God, I don't understand what happened, but I bless you. I, I, I thank you for this situation. What she's doing is that she's placing a blessing on that situation. And the blessing... Instead of that situation resulting in destruction in her life, the Bible says 
Do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. Once she has placed a blessing on it, that situation will not lead to a destruction. Rather, it will lead to a multiplication. It will lead to a, a birthing forth. You know, the Bible says, except a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. So instead of it dying, it springs up. So instead of that situation resulting in a death in her life, it results in a new new um, tree coming out or a new plant coming out. Or in her context, it results in a new relationship coming to her life that she will completely forget about this guy that broke her heart because of the sweetness and the joy that comes from this new relationship. And this is the power of thanksgiving. So don't only thank God when things are pleasant, but when things are not even pleasant, carry those things and bless God, praise God for it. Thank God for it. In that thanksgiving, you are placing a blessing on that thing and it will not result in a destruction in your life. All right, so I hope this helps you. Um, I really hope this helps you greatly. So the, the fourth sign of a healthy spirit we have looked at now is a heart of gratitude. Okay, and I want us to go into a, a session of just thanksgiving right now, wherever you are. I just want you to pour your heart and say, God, I thank you. And I want you to even take this as an action of faith, right? And see, and look up for a situation that did not turn out the way you wanted it to turn out. And I want you to just praise God for that situation. Look for a situation, think about something in your life that it didn't turn out the way you would have expected and just begin to bless the name of God and say, God, I thank you. I don't understand what happened in this situation, but I thank you. Just lift your voice and say, God, I thank you. Maybe it's something that you are not, you not, you have not been willing to revisit in your memory. I want you to go back down that memory and say, God, this situation happened several years ago, maybe last month, maybe even but and I don't understand what 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 it is. I I just know what I expected. But God, today I come in surrender and I. I thank you for it. I thank you because you have a greater plan for me. I thank you because even though I don't understand, I know you. Even when I don't understand this situation, I still trust you. God, I thank you. Lift up your voice wherever you are and say, God, thank you. I want you to practice the thank God for that situation. Remember, as you are thanking God, you are blessing on As you are thanking God, you are blessing on that situation. Oh, Kamadoski, Reko Panas, Kumilandoski, Nasina Pares, Kapaya. Oh, Rakabasu, Kumelo, Sukabresko, Kamia. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for that situation. Oh, I thank you for that job offer that did not come my way. After I put in my effort, it did not come. I thank you. I don't know what you delivered me from, but I thank you. Oh, I thank you maybe for that relationship that did not work out well. I thank you. I thank you for this situation. Maybe you applied for a visa or you applied for something and it did not come um, as you expected. Can you say, God, I thank you. I lift this up in surrender and I say thank you because all things are working together for my good. I may not understand it now, but I trust I want to bless for that situation by your thanksgiving. Please a blessing on me. Maracole Masuka Bareski. Rotokoma Katelo Zita. Baros Kombaleto Kapaka Shala Katama La Sukatea. Ela Kataraba Mama 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 Katosila. Jesus, I thank you. All things are working for my good. I thank you. I thank you. 
Jesus, be exalted and glorified. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we have given thanks. Amen. Father in heaven, we come to say thank you. Even for the things that we do not understand, we say thank you. For the things you have done in our lives, we say thank you. For the things that we are waiting, we are awaiting the manifestation, we still say thank you. We ask for the grace today to maintain a heart of gratitude at all times in the name of Jesus Christ. And also we pray that you help us to stay in fellowship with, with fellow believers. We will not fall prey to the to the temptation of the enemy to get out of fellowship, to get out of touch with other believers. We will not fall prey to that temptation in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, everlasting Father. We give you glory and praise your holy name. Thank you for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. All right. God bless you, everyone. I hope you have really learned something today. I know we, um, you know, we'll spend longer than we 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 typically would do, but I do hope that we have we have learned a thing or two. All right. God bless you all.